I want to preach from Psalm 32. So open your Bible to Psalm 32, and I'm going to read the first five verses here in just a little bit as we talk about starting over. What if? How many of y'all ever play the what if game? Do you? Raise your hand if you've ever played the what if game. I do it all the time. What if everything always went your way? Uh, wouldn't that be great? I mean, what if you never had a bad day? What if you never had any problems? What if you never had any defeats or disappointments? Well, unfortunately, that's not the way it goes for those of us who are human beings. Uh, even those of us who are born again, we don't have a free pass through life. God never gave us that. So no matter what season of life you may be in, the fact is that sooner or later, there will be defeats. Sooner or later, there are going to be failures and setbacks. And yes, sooner or later, there's going to be sin that you have to deal with. Most of us are all too aware of that reality. And the ache that sin creates in us was captured by the poet long ago when he wrote this cute little poem that I love. Oh, I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again. Where all of our sins and all of our mistakes and all of our selfish griefs could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. Wouldn't that be great? Well, we stand here at the beginning of a new year and I think all of us are aware of the fact that we need to have opportunities to start over again. To have a new start. So let's talk about that today. You see, how we are to handle those occasions when we fall into temptation and those days when we miss the mark and those seasons when we repeatedly are defeated and make mistakes is a major topic of the Bible. In fact, that's what Psalm 32 is all about. So let me just read the first five verses of this psalm to you because it was a psalm of David. And the introduction says it's a joy for the forgiveness God gives, a joy of forgiveness. It begins in verse 1 by saying, Blessed, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David went on to say, When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Selah is a Hebrew word that means there. What do you think about that? And I can tell you what I think about it. I think it's great. The joy of forgiveness. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, this great passage of Scripture and this wonderful day that you've given to us to start again. Help us, dear Lord, to take the truths that you give us this morning in your word and by your Holy Spirit. Apply them to our life. And dear Lord, give us a new start. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're really not for sure how long it had been, but most scholars believe that David composed this particular psalm sometime 
after he had committed that series of sins that began when he committed adultery with the beautiful woman Bathsheba. And then you know that David had Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed. And all that followed was the deceit of his cover-up where David tried to cover his sins not only from the kingdom but also from God. And later, after David was confronted about his sins by the prophet Nathan, he repented of his sin and he returned to the Lord and he experienced what we all need from time to time and that is a chance to start again. A chance to start over. Now when you look at Psalm 32, there are some really interesting things about it. You may know that in many of David's psalms that he wrote, he was actually singing the blues. He was talking about how life was against him and how people hated him and tried to destroy him. But that's not the case here. In fact, as you read the words of this psalm, you kind of get the feeling that David is celebrating. And you might ask, well, what would David be celebrating? He is celebrating the joy of being forgiven by God and a chance to start life over again. And he's not just celebrating in Psalm 32. He's educating us. He's he's giving us a lesson on how we can start over as well. And we all need that from time to time, don't we? We all need a time and a place to start over. And I, I can't think of a better time or place to do that than today as we end 2015 and we're about to start 2016 let's just see what the Holy Spirit has to say to us from this psalm about starting afresh first thing you need to know is this we must all face the reality of our own sin if we want to start over again we need to face the reality of sin in each and every one of us now there is reasonable guilt And there is unreasonable guilt. And it's clear to me from reading Psalm 32 that David had a reason to feel guilty. He had done something that was terribly wrong. Not only in the eyes of mankind, he had done something terribly wrong in the eyes of God. And the Spirit of God had brought a heavy conviction to David's soul about the reality of his own sin. In fact, he uses four words in verses 1 and 2 to describe the reality of his sin against God. And and I don't know, maybe, maybe you're familiar with these words, maybe you're not. But here's one thing I know. We all know the reality of these four words. Because we've all experienced what David experienced. Because we've all sinned. And so he uses four very descriptive words... To describe his sin against God. The first word that he uses is the word transgression. Verse 1a, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. This word transgression really talks about our defiance against God. The word literally means to step into forbidden territory. And when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he transgressed. He stepped into forbidden territory. He went to an area that God didn't want him to go in his life. He was outside of the will of God. When David had Uriah the Hittite killed, 
He transgressed against God. Again, he stepped into forbidden territory. He was outside the will of God. I don't know about you, but I've transgressed. I have, I have stepped into forbidden territory. I have taken my life in places that were outside of God's will for me. And sometimes I did that in an act of defiance because that goes along with this word transgression. One writer said it's kind of like a little kid who, who bucks up against their parents when their parent tells them to do something. And they say, no. We've all done that with God. We've all transgressed. We've all stepped into forbidden territory. He goes on and uses another word that we're very familiar with. It's the word sin. In verse 1b, whose sin is covered. The literal word sin means to miss the mark. It means to fall short of God's standard. It involves not just doing what we shouldn't do, but also not doing what we should do. You following me? James said it like this in James 4, 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And sin means to miss the mark. Whatever that mark is, either to fall short and to do things we know we shouldn't do, or when we know we should be doing something and we don't hit that mark, we fall short. There is a defect in our life. We all know about sin. Now in verse 2, there's another word used to describe the reality of sin. It's the word iniquity. Verse 2, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. This word talks about distortion. In fact, the literal word iniquity means the perversion of what is right. It means an inner crookedness. It means that when we get off into sin, our soul becomes warped. That's what happens when we sin. There's a crookedness in our soul. Something is desperately wrong. We have distorted our relationship with the Lord. And the reality even gets more graphic in verse 2 when he talks about hypocrisy. He uses the word deceit. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Again, this is talking about deception. This comes in the aftermath of sin. When we become the hypocrite, that is, we become an actor or an actress who plays the part. We're acting as if nothing has happened wrong in our life. And we're playing that part in front of our spouse or our family or our mentors or even in front of God. That's what David had done with his entire kingdom. He was acting as if he had not sinned when in reality he had sinned. You see, this is the ugly picture that Christ took upon himself when he died for our sins. When the one who knew no sin became sin for us. The Bible says Jesus took on our transgressions. He took on our iniquity. He accepted our deceit and our sin and he became sin for us. Starting over. Listen to me, this is very important. Starting over means that we come face to face with our own sin. Now, I'll tell you, we're pretty good about pointing sin out in somebody else's life, aren't we? Aren't we? We're good at that. 
But are we as good to point out sin in our own life? The only way we can truly be forgiven and set free is when we face the reality of our own sin. I've transgressed. I have sinned. I have done iniquity. I've tried to cover it all up with deceit, but I own it today. I've done it. Forgiveness begins when you own up to your own sin. Number two, starting over means that we not only face the reality of our sin, but number two, we recognize the heavy toll of guilt that comes into our life. You see, sin and the guilt that follows takes a heavy toll on us. And I don't think it could have ever been written more descriptive than the way David described it in verses 3 and 4 when he said, When I kept silent, that is, when I didn't confess my sin, when I did not own up to my own sin before the Lord, this is what happened to me. He testified, My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, God, your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. As long as David kept silent about his sins, as long as he kept his distance from God, his whole being felt the awful consequence of that sin and the guilt that comes along with it. In fact... This guilt manifested itself in every aspect of David's life. He talks here about the, the physical implications of it. He says that his, it, he said it felt like my bones were wasting away. You know, researchers have proven this fact that unresolved guilt in a person's life does take its toll upon us physically. And I know that to be true. Have you ever seen somebody that looked like they were like 65 years old, but in reality they were 35? And what do you say? What do you say about a person like that? Generally you say something, life's been tough on them. You know, they've lived a hard life, okay? And, and maybe I don't look like, you know, 112 today instead of 54, but sometimes I feel like it. When there is unconfessed sin in my life, it does feel like my physical bones are wasting away. Guilt messes with your body. There is a price to be paid physically when we are living in unconfessed sin. David said it best. He says, it was like my bones were growing old. So not only was there physical implications, he talked about the emotional implications of guilt. He he talked about groaning all the day long. Um, uh. You ever find yourself doing that? Uh. In fact, this word groaning was also used to to describe the roar of a lion. Emotionally, you're in in upheaval you're groaning on the inside emotionally you're unstable you know why because you're out of you're out of source with god and your emotional state is not going to be healthy when you're not connected and plugged in and living for god it's the way we're wired it's the way god made us the third implication is he said this 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 guilt pays a toll on me spiritually david david talked about 
God's heavy hand on him day and night. In fact, he said it like this, your hand was heavy upon me. It's like the vitality of my life was turned into the drought of summer. Again, I, I know exactly what David is talking about, church. Because I've been there. And if you were honest with yourself today, you would have to say, I can testify to that as well. Because I felt that. When, when there is sin in my life and the, and the guilt that comes from that, it, it plays on us physically and emotionally and spiritually. You know, when you don't deal with sin in your life, you naturally pull away from God. You stop praying. You stop reading the Bible. You stop showing up at church. You don't want to be around other Christians because there is something between you and your maker. There's a barrier between you and God and so you just keep pulling away and pulling away and getting as far away from God as you possibly can. And instead of running to the solution which is God, you're pulling away from God. Sometimes we're the last people to see this. I could, I could tell you story after story up here today of the 30 plus years I've been in ministry pastoring people. And I've seen this very thing in their life. Good, good people who loved the Lord and were dedicated to God. And who had good healthy attitudes spiritually and, and, and mentally and were doing great. All of a sudden they change. And there's something wrong with their spirit. There's something wrong with them internally. You can, you can, you can hear it in their voice. You can sense it in their face. Their, their spirit has turned rotten. And they start to become negative And they start pulling away. And I'm wondering, okay, what's the problem here? And sooner or later, chances are that sin that they're covering will manifest itself. Get this. Nothing good happens when we run from God. Nothing good happens in our life if we don't deal with the sin and the guilt that comes from that sin. So we need to learn to deal with guilt in a proper way. You say, well, there, are there wrong ways to deal with guilt? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Sometimes we just refuse it. Sometimes we just refuse delivery. When guilt comes knocking on our heart's door, we say, nobody's at home. Leave me alone. There was a time when David did that. He, re he refused delivery of guilt. He acted as if nothing was wrong in his life when something was radically wrong in his life. So sometimes we refuse guilt. Sometimes we abuse guilt. This happens when we blame ourselves for everything that goes wrong in our lives, even the, even the things that we don't have control over or we have no way of changing, and we whip ourselves over and over and over. But that's not what we're supposed to do with guilt. Here, here's the, uh, Jason, thank you because I do it too. I love your shirt. Stand up and turn around. Show everybody your shirt, man. You got to do it. I love this shirt Jason's wearing. Turn it around. Yeah, 1980s Jesus freak. There he is, man. He's, he's our Jesus freak. I'm proud of this guy right here. Thank you for your life, man. But I'm telling you, sometimes we do this. Here, here's how it works. I'm not going to bring up my laundry list of sins to you today, okay? But believe you me, I've committed a few sins in my life. 
things that I greatly regret. Things that I, at this point in my life, can't believe that I did. And don't look at me like that because you have to. You know what? I've asked Jesus to forgive me. Sincerely. I've begged him to forgive me. And I know based on this book he has. Because if I am faithful to confess, he is faithful to forgive. And to cleanse. And to hold it against me no longer. And I know that's the truth. But here's what happens in reality. Sometimes I don't let that thing go. And it just keeps coming back. And it keeps flooding me. And I just whip myself up over and over and over again. Because I can't believe I was so foolish or so stupid. And that I would do something like that. And I keep dragging it up from the past. Oh God I'm so sorry. I was doing this one day and it says, it's as if Jesus got a hold of me and said, Harmon, what? I don't even know what you're talking about, dude. That's how his forgiveness is. And if you just keep bringing it up and abusing yourself over it, that is not healthy and it's not good. Because the truth is, he does forgive and he does forget and he holds it against us no longer. So quit abusing yourself over it. Number three, sometimes we excuse guilt. This happens when we blame others for our failures and our sins and we refuse to take the responsibility for it. We play the blame game. You ever played that before? Sure you have. You blame everybody else for the sin in your own life. This is not a new game. I call it be lame. Blame, be lame, spell it, you get it? You're being lame when you blame, but it's not new. It started in the Garden of Eden. Adam said, it's that cotton-picking woman you gave me. Eve couldn't leave it alone. She said, it's the serpent that made me sin. Let me tell you, excusing it, not taking responsibility for it is not helping you. No, here's what we need to do with guilt. We need to use guilt for what God intended it to be used for. God wants to use guilt in your life for your good and for His glory. When you deal with it and confess the sin just like David did, you've used the guilt for what it was meant to be used for. It's called conviction. God is convicting you. He's showing you the error of your way. He is using that for your good. He doesn't want you to stay in sin. He wants you to realize that, hey, I've got a problem. I need to come face to face with it. Only God can forgive me and cleanse me and save me. And so you use that guilt to come before God and confess your sins to Him. David did that in verse 5. In fact, in in my opinion, verse 5 is the best verse in this whole chapter. It's where David said, I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There it is, man. (laughs) There's where that joy from his life was found. God had forgiven him. And then what do we do with that? Well, we can experience freedom through forgiveness. Did you get that? Freedom only comes through forgiveness. That's what God is after when we experience guilt. 
It is supposed to drive us to God, not away from Him. And so when we acknowledge our sin and, and try not to cover it up, when we confess, here's what happens. Three things. Number one, our sins are put away. Go back to verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The word forgiven literally means to put away. God puts that away. He forgives us. He puts it away from us. In the Old Testament, do you remember something called a scapegoat? Remember the scapegoat? It is a beautiful picture of what this forgiveness is all about. Here's what would happen. The priest once a year would select a goat. They called it the scapegoat. They would bring that goat in front of the assembly, all the people... And the priest would lay their hands on the head of the goat and they would confess the sins of the people. It's as if symbolically they were taking the burden of sin from the people and they were putting it on the head of this goat. And then they would choose a strong young man who would take that goat out into the wilderness and leave it there. Imagine with me what a vivid message it sent to the people of Israel as they watched that scapegoat, as they watched their own sins leave the camp of Israel and go out into the wilderness. The Bible says God separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. Jesus has become our scapegoat. Jesus has taken our sin upon his own body when he died on Calvary's cross. Blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven. That is, they have been put away. It, it just gets better. Number two, we experience freedom through forgiveness when our sins are covered over. If you go back up to verse 1, blessed is he whose sin is covered. How are our sins covered? Well, the New Testament tells us they're covered only by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Now church, put on your thinking caps and follow me right here. If we cover our sins, if we try to hide our sins from other people and from God, God is going to be the one who uncovers them. Just like he did to David. David thought he had the problem fixed. Through his own ingenuity, he thought he had his sin covered over. But you know what? God revealed his sin to everyone. And that's what happens to us when we try to cover our own sins over, God uncovers them. But if in the beginning we simply uncover our sins before God and say, God, this is where I've sinned, this is my transgression, and we open that up before God, then what God is going to do is cover our sin with the blood. Amen. That's good news. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is he whose sin is covered. And then number three, understand this. There is no charge held against us. Verse 2 says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In other words, God does not count it against us any longer. God no longer holds this in account against us. What a wonderful thing to hear. No charge. But listen to me church. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God is just a sloppy bookkeeper. 
or that he just winks at sin or he just flippantly waves his hand and says no charge. No, God puts our sins away because someone else has carried our sins. God covers our sin because someone else took our sins upon himself. God doesn't charge our sins against us because somebody else has paid the price for us. And his name is Jesus Christ. Man, that's good news, dude. You can walk out of here today guilt-free, totally forgiven, in harmony with Jesus. I want to close by telling you a story I've told you once before. It's a true story, but man, I tell you, it just rings the bell here for us today. It's about two little kids, uh, Johnny and Sally, brother and sister. They went to their grandparents' farm for Christmas, spent about a week with their grandparents. And, and the first day that, uh, that they were there, Grandpa gave both the kids a, a gift. The first thing that he gave to Johnny was a slingshot. He said, son, I want you to go out in the woods and I want, to, I want you to practice with that slingshot and get real good at it where, where you can just hit anything. So he spent all day out in the woods practicing with his new slingshot. Problem was, Johnny couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with that slingshot. He couldn't hit anything. He, he didn't even come close to hitting any of the targets. And so he was discouraged and he was heading back to the house for dinner. And as he was walking back, he saw his grandmother's pet duck by the barn. And I don't know, just on a whim or an impulse, he pulled that slingshot out and let her rip. Bullseye. Hit that duck square in the head. Killed it instantly. Well, he was overwhelmed with emotions. First of all, he was just excited he hit something. Man, he couldn't believe it. Wow, what a, what a shot. Then the reality of what he'd done hit him. He had killed his grandmother's prized duck, and he, he felt grief. And so in panic, he hid the duck in a wood pile, only to look up and see that his sister Sally saw everything. She didn't say a word to him, but after lunch the next day, Grandma said, Sally, help me wash the dishes. But Sally said, Grandma, Johnny told me he wanted to help you wash the dishes today. And she whispered in his ear, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Later that day, Grandpa asked the kids if they wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help me with supper. Sally just smiled and said, funny thing, Grandma. Johnny told me how much he was looking forward to helping you with the dinner tonight. And she whispered again, remember the duck. So Sally went fishing. Johnny stayed and worked in the kitchen with Grandma. After several days of doing both his chores and Sally's chores, Guess what? Johnny got tired of it. He couldn't take it any longer. So he went to Grandma, and with tears in his eyes, he confessed everything to her. Grandma knelt down and gave him a big old hug and said, Sweetheart, I know what you did. Because I was standing in the window that day, and I saw everything. You know, son, I was ready to forgive you that very moment. If only you would have come to me. I was just wondering how long you would let your sister Sally make a slave of you. Church, you need to know that God is standing in the window today. He sees everything. He sees everything.
He knows everything that we've done, everything we've thought. He knows it all. He's seen the whole thing. And he wants you to know this morning that he loves you. And that he was ready to forgive you whenever it was you did what you did. And he's still ready to forgive you today. In fact, he wants to forgive you. He's just wondering how long you're going to let the devil make a slave of you. And he's wondering how much longer you're going to live in guilt. And allow that guilt to tear you up physically, emotionally, and spiritually. When you can be set free right now. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help my friends here today come to that realization that they have sinned and there's sin in their life. That they would use that guilt to bring them to repentance. And that just as David did, they would come this morning and seek your forgiveness and your cleansing. Lord, for that person who needs to be saved, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. For the Christian who is here that's uh, just kind of went astray, that needs forgiveness today in their life, I I pray that they would come. Lord, for those of us who have received your forgiveness, I pray that we'd not keep it silent, we'd come and give you thanks and that that we would just stop beating ourselves up over something you've already forgiven us for. Lord, for the rest of us who just feel the need to come and pray today, help us to have that freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to ask that you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you come? As God.